chapter fifteen of the subjection of isabel carnaby this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox org the subjection of isabel carnaby by ellen thorny croft fowler chapter fifteen the lost rector gabriel had not long been appointed rector of gaythorne before he became engaged to janet field and he had not long been engaged to janet field before he married her it was a quiet wedding in the little village in the midlands where his mother lived and as it was now november the newly married pair went south for their honeymoon in order to catch the last flutter of autumn's skirts before she faded into winter altogether janet was in the seventh heaven of delight to be gabriel's wife was to her the summit of earthly bliss the one supreme happiness which she had dreamed of ever since her girlhood as too absolutely ideal ever to be realized gabriel also was content in that peaceful fashion which to a highly strung temperament is far more satisfying than any fiercer emotion fabia was greatly annoyed at the marriage of the new rector had she known he would bring a helpmeet with him to the rectory she would not have moved heaven and earth to compass his appointment she still loved him loved him all the more for his rejection of herself but she hated his wife with the intense hatred of the woman scorned for her successful rival it is a noteworthy fact that a woman can forgive a rival who is better looking than herself far sooner than one who is not so well favoured beauty is the one thing in which women acknowledge each other's superiority the woman who is more attractive and yet not so handsome as another is beyond the pale of pardon therefore the beautiful and distinguished fabia could not forgive the ordinary-looking girl who had won the love of gabriel carr after she herself had forfeited it moreover fabia had found her own husband utterly incapable of supplying her intellectual needs and she had imagined that gabriel as a spiritual adviser might help to fill the vacuum thus created but to the woman who regards the confessional as a luxury rather than as a discipline a married confessor is not nearly so satisfactory as a single one a strong argument in favour of or perhaps against the celibacy of the clergy finding her hopes of gabriel's supporting friendship fruitless fabia took to writing long letters to her cousin ram chandar confiding to him her unsatisfied longings for suitable intellectual companionship and begging him to come to england to console and help her at first he refused being offended by her marriage but it was not long before she thought she saw unmistakable signs of his relenting mrs gaythorne was delighted about gabriel's marriage she was one of the women 
who heartily approve of matrimony and highly disapprove of the reverse an old maid was always visited with her severest censure and she meted out as unqualified a condemnation to the woman who did not marry as to the woman who ate and drank anything between meals gabriel and janet went for their honeymoon to a little inn on the borders of dartmoor and revelled in the exquisite and yet awe-inspiring scenery of that part of england's most beautiful county to their heart's content discussing at the same time every subject under the sun and above it in the delightful intimacy and comradeship of married life it is only when the twain are one mind as well as one flesh that the true happiness of marriage is realized and this was the case with gabriel and his wife the only thing that i don't like about dartmoor is the prison remarked janet one day as they were sitting together in the twilight which now seemed to come almost in the middle of the afternoon i hate to think of all those wicked people being so near us poor souls i'm sorry for them whoever they may be said the sympathetic gabriel and whatever they may have done but janet was not made of such slight elements i'm not and i dare say you wouldn't be if you knew more about them yes i should my love i should be all the sorrier janet shook her small brown head slowly i'm never very sorry for people who bring things on themselves if they do wrong they ought to be punished and they generally are my child god may forgive but nature and the world never do and quite right too janet could be very hard upon occasion you can never judge any man's sins until you know what his temptations have been janet and as only god knows that only god can judge the newspapers can tell us what some poor wretch has done who is now being punished for his sins in that gloomy prison but only god could tell us how sorely he has been tempted and how often he resisted temptation before he finally fell and god will remember it to his credit when the day of reckoning comes but some of the prisoners have been very wicked people so they may have been but we do not know that we should have turned out any better had we their temptations and been put in their place janet looked horrified at the bare suggestion i don't think that it is likely that we should take to flat burglary no that would not be any temptation to people brought up as we have been my dearest but we may be beset by other temptations which will prove too strong for us i think there is no text which is more necessary to be constantly borne in mind by so-called good people than let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall for it is when we are most certain of our firm footing on the narrow way that the danger of falling is at its zenith well anyhow i'm sure that no temptation would ever be strong enough to make you do anything wrong gabriel my darling my darling how little you know me 
do you remember the story of holy john bradford who on seeing a murderer being led to the gallows exclaimed there but for the grace of god goes john bradford when i was in the east end i never saw any poor wretch being taken up by the police without saying to myself there but for the grace of god goes gabriel carr dearest i hate to hear you say such things i cannot help that janet you must know me as what i am and not as what you think i ought to be i know that you are one of the best men that ever lived gabriel smiled and stroked the brown head that was leaning against his knee for janet unlike isabel seaton had hair that was never the worse for any amount of stroking but even though a man may smile at the extravagance of his wife's admiration for himself it has an extremely soothing effect upon him the doctrine of infallibility of the husband is a very comfortable one both to worshipper and worshipped so much so that it is a pity it has gone to a great extent out of fashion i am far from being one of the best men that ever lived my dear he said but all the same it is rather nice to know that you think i am i shall always think so i believe you will my janet and as far as i am concerned it is a most comforting heresy but all the same you must learn not to judge other people so harshly i think it is very difficult for a really good woman not to be rather hard nevertheless she ought not to be do you think i am hard gabriel just a little my dearest because you are so good and he bent down and kissed the little round face raised in such profound adoration to his you see he continued it is never safe to feel oneself safe from any particular temptation the question is thy servant a dog that he should do this thing is frequently answered by the servant doing the very thing that he condemned as dog-like i have seen this happen over and over again in my experience as a parish priest whenever i heard a man say oh such and such a thing may be dangerous for certain persons but i can do it with impunity i know that the devil has made everything ready for the overthrow of that particular man but surely gabriel no man is tempted above that which he is able to bear we are expressly told that a way of escape is always provided so it is but it does not follow that we shall always be willing to avail ourselves of that way therefore i hold that it is necessary for the best of men as for the worst to raise to heaven the daily petition lead us not into temptation for we have to be in the thick of temptation before we realize how irresistible it is thus gabriel and janet passed the long evening in holding sweet converse about all the deeper interests of life they reasoned high of providence foreknowledge will and fate and everything else that concerned their truest welfare 
the next day was wet and inclined to be misty there was not much good or much pleasure to be derived from going out in such raw damp weather but the holiday was so near its conclusion that the newly wedded pair felt they could not squander any of the few remaining hours of their honeymoon by spending them in the house so they were out on the moor all morning in spite of driving rain and mist but it requires more than feminine fortitude to be wet through twice in one day so after lunch janet decided that she really could not brave the inclement elements again especially as there was no special object to be gained by so doing gabriel therefore went out for a good spin across the moor by himself leaving janet to amuse herself with an interesting book until his return and faithfully promising to be back in time for tea he loved to be in solitude upon that wild stretch of country there was something in the atmosphere of the moor which appealed to one side of his nature the side which janet could not understand different phases of natural scenery call forth various emotions of the human heart when we wander upon the seashore we feel a restless sadness and an unsatisfied longing quivering within us when we tread the leafy glades of a forest thoughts of romance and heroism stir our blood dreams of simple joys and domestic happiness delight us as we look down upon a rural landscape of cornfields and meadows and red-roofed homesteads whilst we seem to come within reach of the great secrets of eternity when we stand under the shadow of the everlasting hills and in the same way wild stretches of moorland call up an answering spirit within us but it is not a spirit which makes for righteousness and peace the spirit of the moorland is a fierce untutored spirit with the restlessness of the sea without its sanctifying sadness and with the mystery of the mountains without their soul-restoring peace demons that would shrivel into nothingness before the awful mysteriousness of sea or mountain fly shrieking over the moorland to their evil heart's content witches that would be powerless to withstand the spell of homestead or forest ride recklessly upon the swirling blasts that sweep across the heath true the moorlands have their fascination for those who understand them but it is the fascination of evil rather than of good for evil is strong in those desert places and the powers of darkness hold high carnival there one can imagine the scapegoat with his necklet of scarlet dashing to and fro across the dreary scene or the child whose hand was doomed to be against every man wandering with his outcast mother across the barren waste and surely he who knew what was in man knew this also knew that the spirit of the waste places of the earth was at war with the spirit of god and that evil had more power in the desert than on the shores of genesaret and in the groves of olivet when he went apart into the wilderness there to be tempted of the devil 
after gabriel had gone out janet was so much absorbed in her book that for an hour or so she never even looked out of the window but when at last she did so she was somewhat disturbed to see that the mist had turned into a thick fog this did not however unduly distress her partly because she was not a woman with a genius for worry and partly because her husband knew the moor so well that she believed he would have been able to find his way across it blindfold but when tea-time came and no gabriel she began to feel anxious and when dinner-time came and still no gabriel she felt more anxious still and when at last bedtime came and he had not returned her distress of mind was very great indeed the innkeeper and his wife were deeply concerned and extremely sympathetic but they pointed out to janet that it would be useless and worse than useless to send men out to seek for her lost husband in such a fog as this as it was now so thick that even a lantern could not be seen for more than a yard in front they assured the half-distraught little bride that her husband finding it hopeless to make his way back through the fog had doubtless taken refuge in some shepherd's hut or sheltered spot and would remain there until the fog lifted and with this poor janet had to be content although no sleep visited her eyes that night the poor girl never even attempted to go to bed but sat up all night long alternately crying and praying for gabriel next morning the fog had cleared and search parties were immediately organized to go in quest of the lost bridegroom all day long they scoured the moor but alas with no result not a trace of the missing man could they find the assistance of the police was soon called in but was likewise of no avail gabriel carr seemed to have been swept off the face of the earth janet's agony was almost more than she could bear it seemed too cruel to have attained after years of hope deferred her heart's desire only to have the cup dashed from her lips at the very moment of fruition of course she telegraphed to her husband's friends and captain gaythorne and his mother came to her at once poor mrs carr was so prostrated by the news of her son's disappearance that she was confined to her bed and unable to travel but mrs gaythorne was a rock in times of trouble and janet was more thankful to her than she could express yet even mrs gaythorne was unable to find the missing rector all the searchers comforted janet with the assurance that if as she feared her husband had lost his life upon the moor some trace of his body must have been found there are no glaciers upon dartmoor as there are in switzerland down which a man may fall headlong leaving no trace behind and as no one could have walked fast in such a fog he really would not have had time to go so very far afield before the fog lifted and he could see his way about again but if he were still alive what had become of him what was he doing whilst his newly made wife was eating her very heart out for want of him there was the question which no one could answer at least no one who was ignorant of what powers of darkness had been let loose that night upon dartmoor to work their wicked will no one who knew not how good and evil had met and fought together in that wilderness and how evil 
had won the day and had prevailed mrs gaythorne was as loving as any mother to poor janet nothing could exceed her care of and tenderness for the unhappy little bride who seemed to be neither wife nor widow it was at times such as this that charlie's mother showed her best and therefore her real self as for janet she was well nigh broken-hearted could any one imagine a more tragic ending to a honeymoon than this she wandered out all day and every day upon the moor in the vain hope of finding her lost husband with mrs gaythorne in close attendance that good woman knowing neither hunger nor fatigue where the fulfilment of what she considered her duty was concerned like many of her particular school of thought a school of thought which is nowadays well nigh obsolete mrs gaythorne made up for the sternness of her principles by the wisdom and tenderness of her practices her written epistle might be a hard saying but as a living epistle known and read of all men she set forth in unmistakable terms the gospel of love one evening captain gaythorne came into the inn parlour where his mother happened to be sitting alone janet having retired to her own desolate chamber to weep and weep undisturbed it's all up he said hopelessly as he sank into a chair we had better pack up and go home to-morrow charles do you mean to tell me that poor young man's corpse has been found at last charlie groaned worse than that mother there is nothing worse than death replied mrs gaythorne i mean of course for the survivors she added hastily yes mother there is disgrace is worse than death mrs gaythorne drew herself up charles never let me hear you use such a word as disgrace in connection with that man of god gabriel carr it sticks in my throat i can tell you mother but i'm afraid you'll use it yourself when you hear what i've heard and what is that charles where did they find the corpse of that excellent young man they haven't found it at all don't you see mother there's no corpse in the question that's the whole point of the thing charles explain yourself captain gaythorne endeavoured as he had always endeavoured from his youth up to obey his mother but lucidity of expression had never been one of his most distinguishing characteristics well you see the police have at last traced carr to newton abbott newton abbott what on earth did he want at newton abbott and on his honeymoon too that's just the whole point then i don't believe he ever went there gabriel was the last man to do anything foolish especially in a thick fog except of course in matters of ritual with regard to which he always seemed to have a bee in his bonnet to say the least of it but he was not a fool all through and it is one thing to have early services and flowers upon the communion table and quite another to go to newton abbott in a dense fog on your honeymoon with no object all the same he went there mother an old fossil of a farmer has turned up who gave him a lift in his cart as far as newton abbott mrs gaythorne still bristled all over with doubts and what did he do when he got to newton abbott i should like to know 
he went straight to the station and off to london by the next train the railway fellows can tell us all about that as they sold him his ticket and saw him get into the train i do not believe a word of it it is a faked-up story invented to injure gabriel and to annoy me but mother you must believe it a countryman drove a parson in a grey norfolk suit and exactly answering to the description of carr into newton abbot on the morning after the fog that is not proof there may have been hundreds of clergymen in grey norfolk suits wandering upon dartmoor in the fog for all i know besides i never believe the word of agricultural labourers without some proof well mother if you doubt the evidence of the farmer and the railway people and the whole of scotland yard put together you can't doubt the evidence of your own senses look here carr left this behind in the cart when he got out at newton abbot and charlie spread out before his mother's eyes one of gabriel's pocket handkerchiefs neatly and clearly marked with his name by the careful and efficient janet then at last mrs gaythorne was convinced for some minutes she sat quite still great tears rolling down her weather-beaten cheeks oh charles what does it mean she said after a time what does it mean and it was pitiful to hear the quiver in the usually steady voice i'm afraid it means that carr has behaved like a blackguard mother but he was such a good man mrs gaythorne pleaded such a sincere and god-fearing man though in some matters so misguided i know that mother but even the best of men come a cropper sometimes don't you know look at king david and lord nelson charles never let me hear you couple again the name of the sweet singer of israel with that of the lover of lady hamilton charlie was contrite at once i beg your pardon mother i didn't mean to rough you up all i meant was that it's sometimes too difficult even for the best of men to keep straight women haven't the ghost of an idea how deuced difficult it is but women have a very good idea indeed of how distressing it is when they do not replied mrs gaythorne with some truth my idea is said charlie who had inherited a goodly portion of his mother's sound sense that carr made a mistake in marrying a quiet dowdy girl like janet field she wasn't the sort to hold a brilliant good-looking fellow like him don't you know showy men want showy wives to hold them or else there's soon the devil to pay there are other attractions than those of the flesh charles i was never a particularly handsome woman but i had no difficulty in holding your father he always did exactly as i told him from the day of our marriage till the hour of his death charlie fully believed this of course of course mother and you are very good-looking all the same but i mean i never much believe in those boy and girl sort of attachments you see janet was always like a sister to carr and she had no more influence over him than a sister would have a man wants something stronger than a milk-and-water brother-and-sister feeling to satisfy him in married life why it even says in the prayer-book that a man may not marry his sister any more than his grandmother and that's the same principle don't you know 
charles i admit there is something in what you say but that does not seem to me to excuse a man from running away from his wife on his honeymoon of course not but in a way it explains it i believe that poor carr married janet out of a sense of duty or honour or something of that kind because she'd been in love with him from a kid and then when he'd done it he found it was more than he could stand so he just cut and run you see clever people find it awfully slow to be married to people who aren't clever charlie added ruefully remembering how obviously he himself always bored his wife we must keep this from janet at all costs said mrs gaythorne after a short pause it is better for her to think her husband dead than false we can't keep it from her mother the papers to-morrow will be full of it and you know how she reads every word then we cannot keep it from her charles she must know the worst and perhaps it is better that she should we cannot spare people more than god intends to spare them and it is no use our trying to do so and surely the lord knows best End of chapter fifteen